the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Friend, this gift of the spirit of prophecy illumined the 2300-year prophecy of Daniel 8.14 as the lesser light like the moon points back to the light of the sun. Welcome to Reaching Your Heart. Pastor Michael Oxentenko will be here in just a moment with today's message. You know, here at Reaching Your Heart, we believe that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, please call us today at 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Someone is here now to take your prayer request. Today's Reaching Your Heart with Pastor Michael Oxentenko is entitled, The Spirit of Prophecy. The last time we were together, we brought you the first portion of this message. We will complete it here today. And thank you so much for listening. Here is our pastor teacher, Michael Oxentenko. Enoch's name in Hebrew means starting over, a new beginning or inauguration. When his life came to its end, he had come full circle and he never died. He started over. He was taken up to God. As the man who started over, whose life is defined as a prophet by the cycle of the sun, he bore witness to the truth of God's law in his age. God's word is a lamp and a light, and Enoch was a lamp and a light in his generation. Jude 14 to 15. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousand of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly men of their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. And there's no missing it. Enoch was a prophet of God who, like the sun, was brilliant in his lifetime and he proclaimed a time prophecy that brought the world to an end. When he dies, it will come. That's what his son's name means. And so Noah became, at the end of that time prophecy, you can read in Genesis 6 following other places, Noah became the lesser light like the moon that drew attention to the fact that the world was coming to an end. And so we have the spirit of prophecy, the testimony of Jesus arising at the end of that time prophecy, illuminating the word of God that was given through Enoch at the beginning of the time prophecy. So what does Amos 3, 7 say? Surely the Lord God does nothing without revealing his secrets to his servants, the prophets. We can move now in the book of Genesis down to the time of Abram. Abram came out of Ur of the Chaldees. And God told Abimelech in Genesis 27 that Abram was a prophet like Enoch was. So God told King Abimelech that you don't mess with this prophet or his wife or God will mess with you. Now, I like that. You know, sometimes people feel they can stand in judgment of the prophets. They can criticize them. God told Abimelech, you don't mess with this man. He's a prophet. When God raises up a prophet in the church as a true prophet and someone attacks that prophet, we are to mark them in our own mind and we have nothing to do with them until they repent because that prophet is a messenger of Jesus Christ. In Genesis 15, Abram had a vision in the night and God spoke and God appeared and God promised Abram that his children would be sojourners and then oppressed for 400 years and then God would bring them home. Turn to Genesis 15. Let's look at verses 13 and 14. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know of a surety 
that your descendants will be sojourners in the land that is not theirs, will be slaves there, and they will be oppressed for how many years? What does it say? 400 years. That's a time prophecy. But I will bring judgment upon the nation which they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. So what prophet did God raise up at the beginning of that time prophecy to announce it's obvious in the context? What was his name? Who's he speaking to in verse 13? Abram. So Abram is the first installment. He's like the son on the front side of that 400-year prophecy. Now, Abram was 75 years old when he left Ur of the Chaldees in the spring. He arrived in the land of Canaan shortly after the same year, probably the summer. Genesis 21.5 tells us that Abram was 100 years old when Isaac was born. That means it took 25 years from the time he left Ur the time Isaac was born. Like all children of antiquity, Isaac was weaned on his fifth birthday. So when you had 5 to 25, you have 30 years. It was in the spring, the Bible indicates. On the year he was weaned, when you read the Bible story, Ishmael, the son of Hagar, half Egyptian, began to persecute and mock Isaac. Now in the Bible, we are inside our ancestors, and in a way we are our ancestors and they are us. So when the oppression starts of Ishmael, that is where the 400-year clock starts ticking, the 400 years of oppression. There's really no evidence the children of Israel were 400 years in Egypt. They were in Egypt for a shorter period of time, but there is direct evidence they were oppressed beginning with the oppression of Ishmael for 400 years. So the sojourning of Israel started when Abram left Ur of the Chaldees, 430 years before the Exodus. The oppression starts 400 years before the Exodus when Ishmael oppresses Isaac, who's half Egyptian. So these are the two time periods, 430-400. Look at Exodus 12, verse 40. The Bible says the time that the people of Israel dwelt in Egypt was 430 years. You say, wait a second, Pastor Mike. That doesn't agree with what you just said. You said they sojourned for 430 years and they were oppressed for 400 years. Now I want you to look at that expression in Egypt. Rashi, who is one of the greatest Hebrew textual scholars of all time, tells us that the letter bait, which means in, in the expression in Egypt, in this verse should be translated including Egypt. So I'm going to reread it to you. The time that the people of Israel sojourned or dwelt, including their time in Egypt, was 430 years. So the sojourning of God's people starts when Abram left Ur of the Chaldees. It ends with the exodus from Egypt. They sojourned for 430 years. 30 years after Abraham left Ur of the Chaldees, Isaac is weaned. He's persecuted by his Egyptian brother. And the 400 years starts ticking. So the two time prophecies will end at the same time in the spring of the Exodus when God brings his people out of Egypt. The Exodus was in the spring. God visited his people. So what prophet did God raise up to draw attention to this time prophecy that was predicted by Abram? Who was the lesser light that pointed to the greater light of Abram's prophecy? It was Moses who gave us the book of Exodus. Amos 3, 7, Surely the Lord God does nothing without revealing His secret to His servants, the prophets. God told Jeremiah years later that because His people had rebelled, they were going right back to slavery. Seventy years in Babylon. Turn to Jeremiah 29.10. He wrote this, For thus says the Lord, When seventy years are completed for Babylon... I will visit you, I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. That's a time prophecy. So who's the greater light like the sun here in the prophecy? What prophet is it? It's 
the prophet Jeremiah, who's proclaiming the time prophecy. Now go to Daniel 9, verses 2 and 3. And I'm not going to read it, but you can look at it in your own Bible. In this verse, Daniel is studying Jeremiah's time prophecy. He is praying over Jeremiah's time prophecy. He is drawing attention as a lesser light like the moon to that previous revelation. And then in Daniel 10.5, when you follow the flow in the book of Daniel, Christ shows up as the living God. He shows up as the man in linen and he directs Daniel. And then that is the time when God's people will leave captivity. So we have a prophet at the beginning of the time prophecy, that is Jeremiah. And we have a prophet at the end of the time prophecy, who is Daniel drawing attention to it. Like the moon reflects the sun. When you read the book of Daniel, he had time prophecies as well. In fact, our church is based upon the understanding of the 2300-year prophecy of Daniel 8.14. The great messenger to this church has said that that verse is the foundation of this church's existence. Unto 2,300 years or days, the sanctuary will be cleansed or restored. So the first time prophecy that we find in Daniel 8.15 is wrapped around Jesus. It's called the Mare. The Mare. And the mare is a term that means appearance. It's translated vision. It's translated phaneros in the Greek New Testament, the appearance of Christ. The mare is about Jesus Christ. He's called the mighty man in Daniel 8.15. It's used from Isaiah 52.14 and 53.2 that the lamb that goes to the slaughter would have no mare that we should desire him. His mare would be more marred than the sons of men. It is the word that describes the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. It's a special designated term in Isaiah. And so this mare prophecy that we see in Daniel chapter 8 and 9, it becomes a 70-week prophecy of 490 years. In the context, it is part of a longer time prophecy that is another vision that Daniel sees, that is the Chodzon vision, that is 2,300 years. The Mare was 490 years long, and it ended at the time when Jesus appeared on earth. It starts in the autumn of 457 B.C. with the decree to restore and build Jerusalem, and Daniel says, until Messiah Prince. Now look at Daniel 9.24. Open your Bibles. Let's just look at one verse of this prophecy so we can get the sense of it. Seventy weeks, he says, have been decreed, literally cut off of that longer time prophecy, katak, for your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to bring an end to sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy place. So let me ask you the question today, who put an end to sin? I'm asking you. Where did he put an end to sin? At the cross of Christ. Who brought in everlasting righteousness? Jesus did. Is this a good prophecy or is it a so-so prophecy? This is a great prophecy because it has to do with our very salvation, the coming of the Savior to remove sin. Jesus was revealed at the end of this time prophecy as the Savior of the world. So we had the greater light of Daniel predicting it. We would expect, based on this pattern, that there will be prophets that arise that draw attention to this prophecy. John the Baptist appeared in Luke 3 affirming the end of Daniel's 490-year prophecy. And the Bible says in Luke 3.15 that the people were all in eager expectation. He gives the most complicated date in the New Testament to nail the last week of the 70 weeks. Jesus himself said in Mark 1.15, the time is fulfilled, so repent and believe in the gospel. 
Paul tells us in Romans 3, 21, that in his own day, he says, now the righteousness of God has been manifested. And the word manifested is the same word mare, revealed, appeared. He's quoting Daniel 9, 24, what the prophet Daniel said, the mare, the appearance of everlasting righteousness, it has been manifested. Look at Romans 3, 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested. That's the equivalent of the Hebrew word mare. Apart from law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Paul's quoting Daniel 9.24. Usually Paul gets the latter word on Peter in the New Testament, but not in this case. Peter in 1 Peter 1, 10-12 has the clearest example of all of how he drew attention to this time prophecy. Look at verse 10, 1 Peter 1, 10. The prophets who prophesied of the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired about the salvation. They inquired, verse 11, about what person or time was indicated by the Spirit of Christ within them when predicting the sufferings of Christ and His subsequent glory. Now we should pause there. What were the prophets doing? They were wanting to know who the Messiah was, the person. And then Peter says they wanted to know when the Messiah would come, the time. Now look at verse 12. It says, it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you in the things which have now been announced to you by those who preach the good news to you. What he's saying, look, they were inquiring. We got the understanding. We actually preached to you the fulfillment of what they had predicted. So Peter is saying is we are like the moon. We're the lesser light that's pointing back to what they were searching for. So look at 1 Peter 1, 18-20. Here is the direct reference to this time prophecy. He says, You know that you were ransomed from your feudal ways inherited from your fathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was destined before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest at the end of the times for your sake. And the Greek is eschaton ton chronon, at the end of the chronologies. He was manifested. This word manifest is the same Greek word that refers back to the mare of Daniel 8 and 9 of that 490-year time prophecy. Peter says Jesus was manifested at the end of the times. Paul says the righteousness of God was manifested. The appearance occurred in Jesus. So you can't miss it. You put it all together. And there were a lot of prophetic activity. The sun symbolizes that first prophetic light. Daniel made the prophecy. At the end of that time prophecy, we have John the Baptist, we have Jesus, we have Peter and Paul. We have a lot of prophetic activity drawing attention to it. Now I bring you to the longest time prophecy in all the Bible, which is the one that affects us. The Chodzon of the 2300-year prophecy predicts the coming of the kingdom of God, the judgment of God in heaven, the judgment hour of human history. Daniel 8.14, he said unto him, for 2,300 days, then the sanctuary will be cleansed or restored. Daniel 8.17, so he came near where I stood. When he came, I was frightened and fell on my face. But he said to me, understand, son of man, that the vision, the hot zone, this longer time prophecy, is for the time of the end. Daniel 12.4, but you, Daniel, shut up the words, seal the book, until the time of the end, many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. So that shorter time prophecy of the Mare was about Jesus, His coming to earth. 
But this longer time prophecy, the Chazon, reaches to the time of the ends. We had prophetic activity around the coming of Christ drawing attention to the 70 weeks of Daniel 9. Based on that pattern, based on the truth that surely the Lord God does nothing, but that He reveals His secrets to servants, the prophets. Friends, that prophecy starts in the autumn of 457 B.C. with the decree to restore and build Jerusalem. It ends in the year 1844 in the fall. And that has been demonstrated by scientific historical analysis. That date is dead on. In that year, the 2300-year prophecy comes to an end. Pastor Michael Oxentenko will be back in just a moment. Reaching Your Heart is a listener-funded program. We step out in faith to purchase airtime on this station because we believe God is working through this radio ministry to touch tens of thousands of lives. Each of our messages is prayed over, biblical messages of hope and Bible truth. To continue, we need your support. We do not have a large ministry fundraising machine, We operate totally by faith. Call our toll-free number to make your contribution of any size today. That number is 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Here now, once again, Pastor Michael Oxentenko. And I will make this statement that if there is no prophetic activity around the year 1844, it is not a fulfillment of Bible prophecy. But the other statement is more true There has to be prophetic activity around the year 1844 at the end of this time prophecy or God's pattern fails at the time of the end and it does not do so. Friend, Amos 3.7 says, Surely the Lord God does nothing without revealing His secret to servants the prophets. Daniel was like the sun, the greater light. Coming down to the end of the 23-year prophecy, there must be prophets who arise to draw attention to that previous revelation. In the dark lands of Europe, after the suppression of the Reformation, children arose in Europe with the prophetic utterance announcing in the middle of the streets and countries where secular states had outlawed the preaching of the Word of God. They knew the Bible without studying the Bible, and they proclaimed the hour of God's judgment has come in Europe. In the Americas, where the Great Awakenings were occurring, the Great Advent Awakening, two godly men, And one godly young teenage girl arose around the year 1844 in North America who also received the testimony of Jesus that is the spirit of prophecy. They left the evidence for us to examine in their writings. They're literary prophets. The first one was an African-American gospel preacher and teacher who attended the Methodist church and other churches. His name was William Foy. He received visions from God just before the year 1844 and he published those visions a little later. He was not a learned man. In fact, you can go on YouTube. If you enter William Foy, you can actually read his 16 pages. He was not a learned man. And yet his 16 pages, now I want you to hear what I'm saying. His 16 pages contain literary chiastic structures dealing with prophecy just like the ones you would find in the Old Testament or the New Testament. No one taught him how to do this. And you say, Pastor Mike, what do you mean by chiastic structures? When the Holy Spirit moves upon a prophet, that prophet writes as if the beginning and the end will match moving toward a center. And then there'll be structures like that underneath it, like a menorah, like a tree. And you cannot carry that kind of complexity, the algorithm, the math would make Google blow up. It is beyond smart. And when 
we look at the writings of William Foy, who was a gospel teacher, humble man, even afraid to share what he was saying. His material organizes along the principles of linguistic geometry that is beyond smart. I'm telling you, the mind of God was diffused into this man's writings. He prophesied as an African-American preacher, the first installation of prophecy since the apostolic age, that Christ is coming and that we should be ready for the judgment day just before the year 1844. He was not a learned man, and yet his 16 pages are stunning. The second person who received this gift was perhaps the greatest preacher of the great Advent awakening. He never received a vision or a dream, and yet, like Paul, he received a prophetic utterance. Now, how do we know this? Elder Charles Fitch, in the summer of 1843, preached what is perhaps one of the greatest sermons ever preached in the history of the world. He preached an exposition of Revelation 18 that was a fulfillment of the second angel's message of Revelation 14.8. He was calling the world to prepare for the coming of Christ, to separate from religious systems that are Babylon, and to identify with God's Word in the Bible without compromise. His sermon focused on the time of the end, the time of the King of God, contextually the 2300 years running out. He said that we must set aside that spiritualizing nonsense that is not in our Bibles and take the Word of God to stand for Jesus. That great sermon gave rise to the great Advent movement that now proclaims the coming of Jesus and the apostolic gospel around the world. That sermon is chiastic, just like the ancient prophets. It is chiastic in ways that are beyond smart, Elder Charles Fitch produced the great chart of 1843 that illumined the essential structure of the 2300-year prophecy. The third person that God moved upon was a young girl named Ellen Harmon who received visions just after the year 1844, the weakest of the weak. And she continued in that holy capacity into her death in the year 1915. She became the most prominent Christian woman of her time. There are certain historians who have argued she is the most important Christian influence of any woman in history. She influenced the rise of the birth of the modern health movement based on biblical principles. She wrote volumes of the life of Christ. She transformed educational philosophy around the world. She was an expert in Bible prophecy, education, Christian devotion. And she wrote a little book that led your preacher to Christ. I became a Christian because of her book, Steps to Christ. And yes, she illumined the 2,300-year prophecy of Daniel 8.14. She had hundreds of visions from the time that she had her first in the year 1844 to when she died in 1915. We now know through scientific study of her writings that Ellen Harmon was universally chiastic. She was just like William Foy and Charles Fitch, but she came a few years later after 1844. Her book, The Desire of Ages, is the finest book ever written on the life of Christ. It is chiastic. The whole book, if you start at the beginning of the book, chapter 1, the end, it's linguistic. It starts moving toward a center as if she had sat down and meticulously organized every word and expression to match up like math and geometry. Every chapter in the book does the same thing. But you know, that book is part of a series of books. The Conflict of the Ages series, a five-volume set written over 35 years. And when you look at the very first words of Patriarchs and Prophets, God is love. The last three words of the series, God is love. Your pastor 
has studied linguistically and has followed it in. It is a literary chiasm. Friends, this does not happen. You can't write out of sequence over 35 years and know the future and the past and arrange the material so meticulously as she has done. She didn't do it. Because when the prophets speak, it is God speaking. It is the testimony of Jesus. If you look at every chapter in those books, they are chiastic. The very first paragraph of the Desire of Ages is a literary chiasm. Again, where the beginning and the end match moving toward a center. That's fractal systems. It's like Mandelbrot geometry. That is the mind of God. All three of these people produce documents that when analyzed by careful empirical examination reveal that all three wrote documents that are impossible for human minds to produce with these embedded chiastic structures that are beyond smart. So at the end of the 20th year of your prophecy, around the year 1844, God gave His end-time church once again the testimony of Jesus that is the spirit of prophecy. And this gift pointed men and women in the church back to the Bible. Friend, this gift of the spirit of prophecy illumined the 2300-year prophecy of Daniel 8.14 as the lesser light like the moon points back to the light of the sun. That will conclude the spirit of prophecy here at Reaching Your Heart. Thank you so much for listening today. And don't forget that you can always find these messages online at reachingyourheart.com. That's reachingyourheart.com. Are you fascinated by the prophecies of Revelation? Have you wished that you could understand prophecy better? Do the symbols of the Bible's last book baffle you? God's last altar call is just the book you need. Mark Finley clearly explains the events soon to unfold in this world. Be sure to call today for your copy. It's yours for a donation of any size. Thank you for your generosity. Thank you for listening. Your donations keep this ministry on the air. 855-888-4673 is the telephone number to call. 855-888-4673. 855-888-4673. Or reachingyourheart.com. Thanks for listening today. And as always, we do pray that God is reaching your heart.